morning. Gosh, I just want to say another thank you to everyone who helped out this morning. Uh, Trunk or treat. I have three kids, and I just cannot tell you how excited they were coming to church today, knowing that they got to go around and uh, get all kinds of candy. I could not believe how much candy my daughter had in her bucket. And I was like, that is going to have to go in our bowl to give away to other people. So we are not keeping this whole candy. Um, But it was such an awesome morning. I want to start by, okay, so here's the question, because there are, there are people who I can relate to in this room who love to run and find running fun. Who are you in this room? Please tell me. Okay, that was a lot of excitement. So I think that running's really fun. I, I, I decompress that way. I have thoughts that way. Like when I need to clear my mind, if I can just go on a run, I just come back a totally different person. And at one season of our of my life, my husband Mark and I lived in a, a house in Atlanta where no matter which way we headed uh, headed out of the house, I was going to hit this hill, and so I had to decide when I would go for my runs, like which route am I taking? Am I going to do the super steep hill that I'm going to be exhausted by the time I get to the end, or do I take the longer, not as steep hill? It's going to take me a while to get up, but you know maybe I could continue on. So I decided, as I considered it, I'm going to go for the long hill. I'm going to do the long hill. I'm going to run up that way. And as I would go on my route, I learned that in order to run up this hill, I had to do two things, that I had to look ahead to see where I was going and specifically that there was an end to this. You know, like sometimes you just have to know this thing does not last forever. And then I also had to look down and watch my feet move and be like, I am running up this thing. And what I realized is if I looked up too long, I would get really discouraged because no matter how fast I felt like I was going, I wasn't really getting there any quicker than as quick as I wanted to. And if I looked down too long, then I wouldn't see how I was progressing. And so I really learned that in the way to get up this hill, I would have to look up ahead for a while and then I'd have to look down. I have to look up and I'd look down. And I just learned that there's such a dance when we're trying to move our way up something between these two aspects. Well, this week is week five of our Colossians series, which I really have a hard time believing we're already five weeks into it. Uh, But we're beginning chapter three. And the first two chapters of this letter that was written by Paul to this community at Colossae was is filled with deep spiritual truths. Paul is talking to them about the supremacy of Christ, the all-sufficiency of Jesus. He talks about how it is Jesus and Jesus alone that matters, that he's the one who holds it all together. But now Paul really transitions into talking practicals saying, we're going to build on what I've talked about because we have to figure out how do we actually live this here uh, and it's much like my run up the hill then, because he has cast the vision for why they were doing what they were doing and where they are heading to, but he also is talking to them about how to live it every day. And how many of you know that those two things go so hand in hand? Because in order to be spiritually alive is to get practical in life. 
about how everything that is a reality in God's kingdom affects how we live our daily life. There's no way of separating the things. In order to be spiritually alive in what Jesus is doing, we have to get practical in our daily life. And so this is what he says to them in Colossians 3. I'm going to read you 17 verses. I get it's a lot, but we can do this together. Um, So this is what he says beginning in verse 1. He says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now, I just love those words, but now, we always need the but now in our lives. You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to you. Your word is living and active. Your spirit is present and active. And would you change us today from the inside out? In Jesus' name, amen. So this is what Paul wrote to this community. And what I want to remind you of is that at the time that he was writing to them, which was about 30-ish years after Jesus had died and been resurrected, so we're not talking a really long way away. I think that's always just an important thing to remember. This is This is around like early 60 AD um, years. And as he was writing to them, this community of Christians were coming face to face with a philosophy that wanted to tempt them away from the pure message of the gospel. And a lot of then what Paul is writing them to about is to redirect their focus on what really is truth and now how to live that truth. And he begins in Colossians 3 verse 1 by saying to set your hearts on things above, then saying set your minds on things above, not on earthly 
things. So for as heavy in theology as Paul has been and will just continue to be, he does press into getting practical in this moment. And what I want you to catch then is that setting the minds on things above isn't like some nice suggestion he was giving them. It was a spiritual instruction that he was saying to this community that as uh, being raised by Jesus, that do not set your mind on what you see, set it above, or another way to say it is to think higher. You just got to think higher. Now I hear that and I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because in my daily life, I actually find myself setting a lot of things on high shelves away from little hands who want to get into all of my things. And so I'm like, is that what setting is? Like, am I taking the precious thoughts of my life or the precious treasures and I'm just setting it on some shelf to be unbothered and protected from all the noise of life? Is that the setting? Well, the root here for that word set, among some other definitions, means to exercise or direct. And then he's talking about their mind, not their intellect, but the affections and the the thought patterns of their life. And so what Paul is saying here is that the setting of the mind is not placing all your thoughts on a shelf to sit and be still, but is the actual exercise of them. You have to exercise your thoughts. Now, I don't know about how you exercise, but uh, exercise is a key rhythm in my life that I try to do. And as I exercise, I am exerting strength and energy toward that thing that I'm working towards, my goal that I'm wanting to accomplish. And when I exercise, I am in motion. And depending on how I'm feeling that day, I may have a little or a lot, a bit of uh, energy and drive and focus on trying to accomplish what I've set before me. That's what it means to exercise. And so when he's talking here to exercise their thoughts, it is a spiritual, or of setting their mind and their thoughts, it's a spiritual exercise specifically to think higher, which means then that it doesn't just happen. It's not like just when you become a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden you're going to think all the holy and wonderful and amazing things all day, every day. Sometimes we can think that, and then when we don't have those thoughts or we're having a hard time seeing something from that higher position, we're like, well, what's wrong with me? seems like everyone else just has this natural ability to just see things really holy and through God's eyes, but I'm having a hard time right now, so am I doing something wrong that this isn't coming easy in my life? But it doesn't just happen. It's a spiritual exercising of your thoughts, meaning anchoring your thoughts in the reality of God working in your life in such a degree that it actually heightens your awareness of God's activity in your life. So then, as we work to set our mind on things above, we begin to see what's before us through God's view. And God's view becomes the lens then that we begin to see things differently because we've set our mind above that which is before us. Now, we all know what it looks like or is like in our life to set our our mind on things as they are. All you have to do probably is think about the last time that you either had a hard time falling asleep at night or you woke up in the middle of the night because your mind was racing over everything you cannot control and that you were worried and anxious about and you were feeling scared for. 
we've all been there. We've all been there. And and we all know what that's like because when we're looking at problems through simply where we are, the earthly stances Paul's talking about, what's before us is huge and feeling a lot of times immovable, doesn't it? In fact, I know probably more than a few of us walked in here today and you have massive problems in your life. Like you're looking at something, you're like, this is so big and I don't have a clue how to get myself around it, how to get this thing out of my way or how to fix it. I think that is something that a lot of us can relate to. And often when what we think we need, when we find ourselves facing something that feels huge in our life, is that we need new circumstances. So we're like, if I could just become that, if I could just get out of here, if I could just move to that place, then things will get better. And I think the truth of it is maybe, right? Like, I don't think to say that circumstances changing doesn't change anything. Well, that's not actually true. Sometimes changing circumstances can change a lot for our lives. But what about when you cannot change circumstances? And when you cannot change circumstances, what you can change is your position. And what I mean about that is that when you are setting your mind on things above, it enables you to actually take a whole new position to what's before you. The thing may not change, but you've moved how you are facing it. And and you are beginning then by a new angle to see God's working power in the middle of that which you were looking at before you. So that even though circumstances haven't adjusted, your vantage point has. So that which was huge from one sense, now all of a sudden you begin to see has some room and and, uh, movement to it from a totally different angle. And so what changing positions can do is it can mean that the thing that feels so impossible or improbable in your life, by just moving to see differently and thinking higher, is infused with possibility. Because when we begin to see God so near and active in our life, then he's so near and active in the middle of the thing that we're looking at. And when you change your position, you actually change your perspective on it. Now, for all of you young professionals in here, um, I don't know if anyone has told you about a specific season you will undergo at some point in your life, but at some some marker that my husband and I went under as well, you're going to come a time when you have to move from one location to another and beer and pizza no longer entice your friends to come help you. But you also don't have the money to get movers. And so you're in this small little bit where you're like, no matter the best pizza you are offering them, they're not coming to help you move. They have done that and checked that friendship box. But you don't have the money to do it. And so what are you going to do? you're going to move yourself, aren't you? And so my husband and I were in that season and thankfully had very few belongings at the time. And so we rented a $25 an hour U-Haul pickup truck. And at like eight o'clock one night, because I think that's what you do when you don't have kids, you get rushes of energy at that time. And so I'm like, we're like, you know, let's just move to that other place now. And and so we started to load up this pickup truck. We're like, this is going to be an amazing idea. Like, let's just knock this thing out, you know? show all those people who didn't want to show up that we can do it. So we load up this pickup truck and we head over to our new place, which was also within Atlanta. 
And I am a blessed lady who inherited a $40 Craigslist chair from my husband when we got married that was so ugly. It was this huge, ugly chair. But I have to say it was so comfortable because two people could sit in it and have enough room or like one person could and they could like really find their space in it. And so it was ugly as it was, we just could not get rid of this thing for a long time. We have gotten rid of it, but uh, for a while we hadn't. And so we are moving this chair into our new apartment and we're up this, this is one flight of stairs up. And I just remember being at the back of it with one hand with this chair on me being like, because you know, you get the weight when you're on the stairs. And I'm like, this is the worst idea. Like now it's nine at night and we, what are we doing right now? And this chair would not move into this doorway. And no matter how hard, you know, he's like, budge, push Caroline. I'm like, I'm trying back here. And no matter how much I'm pushing and he's moving this thing would not get through the doorway. Well, then we moved positions. We're like, let's just, okay, let's step back for a minute. Let's kind of reposition ourselves. And all of a sudden, from a new perspective, what would not move from a different vantage point, it became clear how it could move into that doorway and into that apartment. And some of us can get so stuck on how we are seeing the thing that is in front of us. And what we actually need is a new perspective to refresh our vision. That maybe what's coming at you is working for you. Or maybe what's being closed for you is God propelling you. Like maybe what hasn't happened in the way you want or the time you want or how you saw it happening isn't God withholding from you, but it's actually God writing such a bigger story over your life. Like, could it be that God sees you and wants to pull things from you that requires that you are in a certain circumstance now, but it's because he sees in you what's even hidden to your own eyes? And so he wants to draw out of you in this season. See, when we change our position, we change the perspective we have on something, but also we change our approach. When we look at things from a certain stance of just matter of fact, this is what they are. We're very reactive in nature, aren't we? This is what's happening. I'm responding to it. Then this happened. Then I respond to that. But when we set our mind higher, when we uh, take our seat higher, then that which is before us, we begin to actually proactively participate with God in what he's doing to this thing. We're not looking at it from here. We're looking at it from above and with God participating in how he wants to move through it, which then changes your approach to it, doesn't it? Because naturally, once you've caught a vision of what God's wanting to do, you're approaching that thing with a level of confidence of clarity, a level of peace. I am being helped. There is more past this. I'm strengthened by him in the middle of the pressure. I can sleep in the storm. There's more that's happening. And so you approach what's happening through a different lens. But you don't get that when you just look at things informed as as they are. You get that when you take your seat high and you set your mind high on what it is God is doing through what is most evident before you. See, we must think higher to live here actively engaged in God's movements, which is a spiritual practice of pursuing God's thoughts and bending our thoughts towards him. 
I was thinking about how I do this in my life on a practical nature. Like, well, how do I actually do this? And there are two basic things, but maybe will be helpful to you. When I'm looking at a problem before me and I don't know what to do about it, there are two things I do to move my mind and thoughts higher. One is I remember what God has done or what I do know. And two, I ask God to speak in what I don't. So on one hand, I remember the faithfulness of God in my life. I think about when he has come through and shown up in my story. I, I think about the power of God I've seen, about the way he's fulfilled promises, about moments that I felt his presence. I don't let the problem that's in front of me, uh, I don't neglect it. I have problems. There are tensions and hard areas of life but I don't allow them to determine my thoughts and beliefs about who God is and what he's doing. Instead, in the middle of what I'm facing, I actually will testify to myself, God, you are bigger than this. God, you are doing more than this. And so I remember and recount how I've seen him and who he is and what he does. The second thing I do is for the areas that I have no clue, what are you doing about this? I pray and I ask him, what's your perspective? All I can see is this, Jesus. How are you approaching this? What are you feeling about this? What are you seeing in the middle of this? What's your promise in the middle of this problem that I have? And this isn't like a, a surefire fire thing that just makes everything right, but it is a way to stay actively engaged in the middle of when you find yourself in hard, difficult seasons and you're trying to figure out how are you seeing this, God, and how do I approach this? Remember who he is and, and ask him to speak into what you don't. Because transformation begins with the mind. You want to get transformed. You want to see transformation. Then you must think higher. You must. Here's what Paul goes on to say. In verse 12, he, he talks to them a bunch about all the things that they're supposed to put to death and, and get rid of in their life. And then in verse 12, he says to them these words, Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Last week, Rob talked about how this community of Gentile believers, meaning non-Jewish, that there were a lot of opinions swirling about what made them chosen and holy and a part of God's redeeming plan. People had really strong opinions about what they needed to do or not do or what this looked like to have them come into the plan of God. And what Paul does here is he presses on them to know who they are. That you, Colossians, raised in Christ, you are holy and chosen and loved. Now, these aren't the first time these words have been spoken. Many times in scripture have they been. But one of the times I want to take you to quickly is Deuteronomy 7. And in verse 6, God is talking to his people, Israel, and he says to them the words, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of this earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And then it says in verse 8, But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore. And 
what I want you to see is that these words aren't new words that Paul is telling them right here. They have been spoken before, but now they're being said to them. And I was thinking about how it's not necessary for God to speak a new word for it to be his word in our lives. Like we don't need a new word from God. And in fact, in this moment, what makes these words so meaningful is that they had been spoken before. He'd spoken them over his people Israel, but now in this moment, he's speaking them to this Gentile community. And so he has said them, but now he's saying them to them. You are chosen. You are holy. You are loved. And I want to get specific here for a minute because some of you need to hear, whether it's for your first time or your, your thousandth time in life, but that in this season and in this context and in this moment of your day, whatever you walked in with, whatever you feel guilt and shame about, whatever way that you feel like you failed or messed up or you're too far gone, that God looks at you and says, you're chosen. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. You're chosen. That no part of your past, that no part of your regrets or mistakes disqualify you from God's purpose in your life. And even if you've dealt with so much rejection by meaningful, important people in your life, even if you've heard a million no's and you've been stood up and overlooked and, and cast out in all kinds of ways, I know that stuff deeply hurts, but you have to hear that God says you're chosen. And all the stuff that has happened doesn't keep that from being true in your life because to you as it is right now, he says he chooses you. And he says that you're holy, you're set apart, that he looks at you and he doesn't see the mistakes before you, that you're not shamed from sitting at God's table, that by the blood and the power of Jesus, he looks at you and he says, no, you are my chosen holy one and you are loved. You are. God thought about you. He created you. He's for you. He's with you. He's in you. He's looking out for you, over you, surrounding you. You are loved. And whether you walked in today and you feel so high on life and successful and you're just knocking it out of the park with everything, or you walked in today and you are struggling and down in the depths and you're like, Caroline, if you just knew, if you just knew, what I know is that wherever you came in today, God said it before, but now he says it to you. You're chosen, you're holy, and you're loved. In this time, in this season, in this moment. And when we think higher, we know who we are, which is what Paul was talking to them about in this moment. Because God's thoughts become our thoughts. And when we know who we are, the only option is to live it here. It's just to flow and pour it out here. 
years ago, I was in charge of leading a group of 20-somethings around the world, and most of them were older than me, and so I would be the first one to tell you at the time this was a terrible idea. Like, I could not tell you what a leader was. I had never read a leadership book. I did not know the first thing of what it meant that I was in charge of 40 people taking them to a new country and somehow encountering, we prayed, God in that place. But there I was, and about two weeks into this whole adventure of being in charge to this group, my mind was spinning. Have you ever been in that moment where you are so uh, locked into, if you do something, you do it wrong. So then you're like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you don't do that thing. And then because you didn't do it, you're also wrong. And so you're like, you can't win to yourself because no matter if you do it or you don't do it or how you do it or when you do it, or if you do it, you just can't do it right. And so I just was so paralyzed. I just don't know how to do anything because I just feel so unqualified. And there was a moment where I pulled away from the group and I was staring out at the ocean. I just had a moment with Jesus, just trying to catch my thoughts. I I felt really overwhelmed and out of place. And I'm standing there telling God, this is a terrible idea that we have done together. And how are you going to fix this and get me out of here? And I was expecting for him to start telling me what I needed to do differently. Okay, just tell me, like, what are the next instructions of all the things I need to do? And I just remember it so clearly. I heard it so deep inside. I can't explain it, but I heard it. And I heard the words, there is no time for this. And out of such love for him, he just started to speak into me who I was again. There's no time for this, Caroline. This is who you are. This is where I've placed you. My spirit's in you. There's no time for this. There's a group there. And there are things I want to do through you to them. There's no time. This is who you are. And he just reminded me of who I was. Not what I needed to do, but who I was. And I walked back to that group, and it was like everything shifted for me. Because now I remembered who I was, and because I remembered who I was naturally just flowing from me, I began to do out of a place of knowing who I was in that moment, because what flows in us, what's in us will flow from us. And so in that moment of remembrance, oh, this is what's in me. It will flow from us. And here the Colossians needed to think higher, to know who they were, to live higher. Because what Paul tells them next after telling them who they are, he says, uh, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them together. How are they to put on all of this uh, love and patience and kindness and gentleness? They're to do it because of their identity. Do you see the order of this? He's like, because of who you are, do this. You are this. So now do this in everyday life. Now, this is where we get it so backwards. Because on one hand, when we don't know who we are, we can begin to put things on us thinking, if I can prove to someone else that I am this, then maybe I really am. The problem with this is that even if someone else affirms who you're scared if you really are, no matter how many times they affirm it, their affirmation does not remain over you, does it? It's a fleeting word at best. It just doesn't stick. And so no matter how many times you hear it, It's not enough because it's not God's living word over your life. 
the other thing that can happen is that we will put on and do to a degree because we agree that these things are important things to do. I should show love and kindness to other people. But when it doesn't come from the core of who we are, then we're only willing and able to give others so much. Because I only have so much. And if I'm extending love and kindness to someone else and it's not linked to my identity, I find the extension of that depleting and exhausting because more for you, in fact, means less for me. And how compelled am I really to give you love and kindness and patience and gentleness if I don't actually realize that on an unending basis, that is what I'm receiving from God myself? And so without knowing my identity and where I receive it from, how possibly can I give it to you? So we gravitate then in all our kindness and our love and our putting on forgiveness to a place of scarcity about it when it's not linked to our identity. Because more for you means less for me. This is how it plays out. You can believe all day long that love and kindness and forgiveness and gentleness and patience are great things to give other people. But when it doesn't come from your identity, you will be scarce and judgmental about where and when you give it out because there is an abundant supply inside of you. And so without having a regular flow from God himself pouring that love and kindness in you, you can't possibly give it out to all the places. And so you become the judge on which places you will and will not give it out, which then just totally traps us, doesn't I? Us? When we don't know who we are, we then find ourselves needing another person to validate unendingly for us who we are because one person's never enough. And or we'll just withhold from people the gentleness and kindness and love and putting on those things for one another because I just don't have enough for both of us and I've got to keep some for myself. But when we wear what reflects who we are, knowing here I am who God says I am, he is who he says he is, then others' validation is not needed. You know who you are. And so you have an abundant supply to freely give to the people and relationships around you every day of your life. And do you know what testifies most in your life? That from the thinking higher and knowing who you are, you live it out in a day-by-day, moment-by-moment place. What carries resurrection power in our lives is the reality that Jesus is so real in us that in the small and big acts of my daily life, they have intention and purpose and Holy Spirit power on them because they come from who I am and who he is as the source of every bit of it. That flow will never run dry. The band can come up. I'll finish up. Uh, This is where Paul ends. He says in verse 17, this to them as he close up, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So at the end of this whole section, he says to them, whatever you do within the parameters of God's kingdom, whatever you do, do it for him. And what I love about this is that Paul begins in, the, in chapter 3, verse 1, wanting them to set their minds and sights high. Catch the vision up there. Think higher. But where he ends the whole section is in the depth and detail of everyday life. Whatever you do. 
The word in Greek for whatever, among other things, means to in any and everything, meaning in the small and the tiny and the seemingly insignificant of your life, it all carries invitation. So we take our vision high. We catch who we are to actually live our God-given purpose on earth. We think high to know how to show up and enter in into daily life now. There's no special grade you need to make or hidden ticket you need to find to get into the will of God in your life. This is what I love. There's such freedom here. Whatever you do, the emphasis here is not on what you do, but how you do it, who you do it for, why you do it. In all of that, forget what and focus on how are you showing up in your job? How are you showing up in your relationship? How are you showing up to your daily tasks? In your changing of diapers, in emails, in uh, conversations at coffee, in all of this stuff of the daily life, the small and tiny, it carries an invitation that says you could do it for him. And you can, because when we think higher to catch the vision from God and know who we are, then we live it with such intention and purpose in the everyday step-by-step of right now. That's the way that God's grand vision becomes a reality in our life. We think high, we know who we are, and so we live it here. And I'll invite you to stand. We're going to enter back into worship. And I want to pray quickly for some people in this space. I want to pray specifically. Some of you are facing a real problem before you. And I don't, I don't negate that. I really sense some people need some divine strategy some heavenly thoughts about how to change positions, change perspective, and approach the thing differently. And so if that's you, maybe just open up your hands or just somehow enter in for a moment. I want to pray for you. If you have a real problem you're looking at face on right now. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would download heavenly vision into your people. That for those of us who are stuck or who just do not know what to do, I pray right now, breakthrough in the name of Jesus over them. That where there's even like a linking to the problem that needs to be cut, we just break it by the power of Jesus. And I pray freedom over you to change the way you think about. Maybe you've been told too long, this is just how you should think about things. This is the lens of the world. This is how things look. Well, right now, I pray for God's vision to come on your mind in Jesus' name. And I pray for those of us, Lord, who have been living outside who we are. And I just see you calling us home calling us back into place right now in Jesus' name. You don't need to prove to one person who you are. God knows you and sees you. He he affirms you. He loves you. You don't need it from anyone else. You run free and wild after the things of God in your life because you know who you are. 
And so right now, would you just pull us back in, God? Would you speak prophetic words of identity and life and purpose in this place? And we just enter in, hands open, hearts open, minds open, Lord. Take over in Jesus' name. There's communion tables. There'll be people praying. Enter in and let's just worship Jesus.